Good evening, Crypt Keepers, and welcome to the Season 2 Cryptique Finale. I am joined, as always, by a man who has had plenty of Bigfoot encounters, but only at the furry conventions he goes to. Ryan, what's up? I thought for a second you were making fun of my sister-in-law, Bigfoot. (laughs) Oh, gosh. No. (laughs) (laughs) It was alarming a couple years ago to to have accidentally mixed up shoes with oh her God. and realized that my significantly younger sister-in-law has the exact same size feet as me. <laughs> well, you're a big guy. I think it was more distressing for her, though. Right. What size shoe do you wear? 11 in men's, so she's like a... 13 in women. Yeah, 13 in women, something like that, right? It's not just the shoe size. We like we actually put our feet next to each other. It's like they are. Yeah, this is. So you poor, bless your heart, you poor thing. <laughs> Women's thirteen significantly bigger. Like, is she trying to grow her toenails out? And needs a little, little extra room. No. Uh, <laughs> and there was a girl that I went to high school with who I didn't realize that she had big feet mm-hmm. until we were all over at another kid's house. And she had like taken her flip flops off, and they were sitting somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> and the kid, the person whose house it was, she was like, "Whose skis are these over here?" <laughs> That's awesome. Well, you can also tell too because you see like the heel hanging off the back of a flip flop, and the toes mm. kind of curled over the front. It's like, <laughs> are you sure you're a size nine? I yeah. I don't know because I don't think it's supposed to hang off on both ends, but you know, whatever. Anyway, so let's see. I guess uh, before we get started, tell them what they need to know. Oh, what should they know? So if you guys would share, like, subscribe, review, tell a friend, these are all things that can really help us. They'll help us, you know, bring in more people who might like it, who might hate listen to it. (laughs) Right. Who might find it interesting, might have interesting suggestions for us. And if you have suggestions for us, you can email those to us at cryptiquepodcast at gmail.com. And you can also find us on TikTok at cryptique underscore podcast. And don't forget to check out the Parabox link in the description for all those weird, obscure t-shirts, the kind that I that makes me literally stop people on the street and be like, I'd love that. Yeah. Because these are literally the kind of shirts that, you know, when I'm in St. Louis City or Chicago or whatever. I, I actually do stop people and I'm like, I love that shirt. Because people like that kind of thing. 
people express their interest that way. And there's a lot of like really great, <laughs> you know, conspiratorial or cryptozoological shirts on there that I really enjoy. Yeah, they're a lot of fun. Okay, yeah. Once a month, you know, it's a new new T-shirt to look for. And there's also, you know, some mystery stuff involved. You'll you'll figure it out if you go to the link. It's pretty cool. But mm-hmm. anyway, we uh, we're talking about the big guy, Bigfoot, Sasquatch, Yeti, Yaren, Yowie, Buckwass, Skunk Ape, etc., etc., etc. Share your favorite Bigfoot memes on our Facebook page. Do you want to start us off here? Sure. Bigfoot, also commonly referred to as Sasquatch, is an ape-like creature that inhabits the forests of North America. As though none of you have ever heard of this before. <laughs> Although, you know, I guess it is good to get back to basics, since a lot of um, theory suggests that he might be, you know, something that we're seeing through a time slip or... yeah interdimensional stuff like that uh tales of wild hairy humanoids span the flat earth and (laughs) and such creatures appear in the folklore of north america including the mythologies of indigenous people the flat earth huh well yeah i just (laughs) have to sneak that into the (laughs) bigfoot is an icon within the subculture of cryptozoology Mainstream scientists have historically discounted the existence of Bigfoot, considering it to be a combination of folklore, misidentification, and hoaxes rather than a living animal. Folklorists trace the phenomena of Bigfoot to a combination of factors and sources including indigenous cultures, the European wild man figure, and folktales. Man, can we consider ourselves folklorists? I'd like that on a business card. Well, absolutely. I mean, we, <laughs> we study folklore we research it why not wishful thinking a cultural increase in environmental concerns and overall societal awareness of the subject have been cited as additional factors anyway i I love it that they come up with every possible factor so it's it's not just okay i get it yeah a lot of the sightings are going to be bears right a lot of the tracks could be faked or they could be misidentification of like a black bear track. I get all that, but people are just getting out of hand and their reasons just don't make sense anymore. Like COVID just fucking destroyed everybody's reality. I mean, I was on hold the other day talking to the DMV and it went to, you know, put me on hold and they literally said they had longer wait times on hold to increase public safety. I'm like, listen, I know I'm going to be on hold for a long time. Don't tell me it's in the interest of public safety. That makes no sense. Like, if anything, you would want shorter hold times because then you're going to have less pissed off people and that's going to increase the public safety. Right. So anyway, go ahead. Other creatures of relatively similar descriptions are alleged to inhabit various regions throughout the world, such as the skunk ape of the southeastern United States, the Almas, Yaren, and Yeti in Asia, and the Australian Yowie, all of which are also ingrained in the cultures of their regions. So you could look at this in different ways. You could say, yes, everybody has a wild man story in their culture because that's a commonality in the human race. Or you could look at it and say, wow, these people are all seeing something like this to the point 
where each culture has its own name and description and stuff like that. So that's something to consider. If you didn't know, go check out the Patterson Gimlin film on YouTube and you'll get a really good idea of what most descriptions emulate. Bigfoot is described as a large, muscular, bipedal, ape-like creature covered in black, dark brown, or dark reddish hair. They have an estimated height of roughly 6 to 9 feet, with some descriptions having the creatures standing as tall as 10 to 15 feet. So that's a, a big difference, 6 to 15 feet. I think that when you see something that's terrifying, generally... It appears bigger than it really is. I, I keep going back to, you know, I got in a fight. Oh yeah, the guy was six foot five and three hundred pounds. Well, maybe he was more like six foot and two hundred pounds, but you know, your brain kind of, I guess, changes what you're seeing based on how scary it is. But some observations describe Bigfoot as more manlike with reports of a human face. And you can see those if you Google the Todd standing images. And I'm not saying I believe them one way or the other, but one of the pictures is of a alleged Sasquatch with a very human face, almost an, an Asian or Native American face. In 1971, multiple people in Oregon filed a police report describing an overgrown ape and one of the men claimed to have sighted the creature in the scope of his rifle, but could not bring himself to shoot it because it, quote, looked more human than animal. Sasquatch have broad shoulders, four feet across in a lot of the accounts, no visible neck, long arms, and skeptics describe as a likely misidentification of a bear standing upright. Now, I have heard literally a thousand accounts of experiences not all of them were sightings so you're seeing these creatures in rural areas more often than not and therefore the people that are seeing them are more likely to be outdoorsmen hunters hikers and there's just an endless amount of police officers and doctors and people that are, you know, like if you if you send a little kid into the woods, yeah, they might be like, oh, well, that looks like a Bigfoot. But we're talking about people who are trained in anatomy, people that are familiar with all the sights and sounds of the forest. And these are the people that are reporting these. So it's also important to understand that in the description, their eyes are four to six inches apart. So way further apart than ours, presumably because their head is a lot bigger. But in any case, I want to talk to you a little bit about human body ratios. So in all humans, from Bruce Lee to Shaquille O'Neal, their arms are approximately 20% shorter than their legs. <laughs> so... In the videos, like in the Patterson-Gimlin film, how come their arms are so off from human body ratios? Now, you may say they just use arm extensions, just like they did 
in some of the newer versions of Planet of the Apes, right? Wrong. It's easy to make your arms longer from the elbow down, right? You just have an arm extension. It's, it's something you could make on your own out of paper mache and something you would buy at, at a, um, like a sewing store, like some kind of, you know, furry fabric or whatever. Mm. But, but there's a big butt here. Huge oh. butt. Biggest butt you've ever seen. Dummy thick butt. <laughs> Dude, we're talking that this butt makes JLo's butt look like a flatty. So, <laughs> in any case, you cannot change the location of your elbow. So, if you're, if you're wearing like a two-foot arm extension, right, then your forearm is going to be considerably longer than your upper arm because you can't change where your elbow is. It doesn't matter anything else. You cannot change where your elbow is. Now, you could, I guess, straighten your arm out all the way and make it look like where your hand is is your elbow joint, but that's not what we see in these videos. So, in some of the videos, we see super long forearms. So that's a dead giveaway that it's a hoax. Great ape arms are generally longer to aid in tree climbing, but their elbows are about halfway down the length of their arm. So we can make our arms appear as long as we want. You could make your arms appear to be 10 foot long, but your elbow will always be halfway down your real arm. So how have these hoaxers managed to change the position of their elbows to be halfway down their extremely long arms? Anybody? crickets? Ask yourself what's more likely, an unknown great ape or a shape-shifting human or many shape-shifting humans that use their amazing abilities to create Bigfoot hoaxes. Some nighttime sightings said the creature's eyes glowed yellow or red. Eye shine is not present in humans or any other known great ape, and so explanations for observable eye shine off of the ground in the forest include owls, raccoons, or opossums perched in trees. Again, the problem with that is that the eyes are reported as four to six inches apart, and I don't know of a raccoon or a possum or an owl that has eyes that are that wide set. So, Michael Rugg, owner of the Bigfoot Discovery Museum in Northern California, claims to have smelled Bigfoot, stating that, quote, imagine a skunk that had rolled around in dead animals and had hung around the garbage pits, end quote. The enormous footprints for which the creature is named are claimed to be as large as two foot long and eight inches wide. Again, easy to fake with some fake feet, right? But what about stride length? How about six foot strides? Could you wear two foot long fake feet and make six foot strides? I challenge anyone out there to shoot a video of them taking six foot strides. Your stride is about three foot. So... I guess if you ran like full speed, you could stretch out your stride length, but that would be hard to do with, you know, two foot long fake feet. Now there's a report and actually a, a good video of Bigfoot prints or alleged Sasquatch prints that are enormous that go for about a mile down a beach in Washington. And they're known to collect clams. So, 
I, it would be really hard to run a full mile on the beach in big fake feet. It, it just, it's implausible. And there has to be a mid-tarsal break. So what that is, is it's a spot, they, they basically have almost like an extra joint in their foot. Like our feet, we can go up on our tippy toes. Uh, when we run or do, you know, a lot of athletic stuff, we're generally on the ball of our foot and have the heel pulled up a little bit, but we can't bend our foot in the middle. And then there's also the issue of dermal ridges. Your feet basically have like fingerprints, only they're toe prints. And so we're talking about someone now that has made two foot long fake feet with a mid-tarsal break, they've carved dermal ridges into it and have had strict six-foot stride lengths down the beach for a mile. So that's, that's difficult. And I did a little experiment where I just took a large Tupperware and filled it with like potting soil, you know, like real moist and everything. And I stepped down into it as hard as I could. I wiggled my foot around just trying to get it as deep as I could get it in there. And... It came out, obviously, no mid-tarsal break. But when I did the plaster cast, there were no dermal ridges, and my pinky toe didn't even show up in the cast. So there is a lot of room for, I guess, different types of footprints. But in any case, just, just remember, running down the beach for a mile in two-foot-long fake feet with a mid-tarsal break. That's hard to fake. What do you think? <laughs> hard to fake. I, I don't I mean, have a whole lot to add to it. I mean, difficult. It, it's mm -hmm. not necessarily completely impossible, but it's highly unlikely. And if you're a listener out there, just give it a shot. I would love to see you give it a shot. You want to tell us about the history? Sure. Many of the indigenous cultures across North America include tales of hair-covered creatures living in forests. And according to anthropologist David Daigling, these legends existed long before contemporary reports of Bigfoot. These stories differed in their details both regionally and between families in the same communities. On the Tule River Indian Reservation in Central California, petroglyphs created by a tribe of Yokuts... Ooh, more words here we can't pronounce, at a site called Painted Rock depict a group of Bigfoot called the Family. The local tribes call the largest of the glyphs Hairy Man, and they are estimated between 500 and 1,000 years old. Same thing my employees think of me. <laughs> 16th century Spanish explorers and Mexican settlers in California told tales of the Dark Watchers, large creatures alleged to stalk their camps at night. In Mississippi, a French Jesuit priest was living with the Natchez in 1721 and reported stories of hairy creatures in the forest known to scream loudly and steal livestock. Ecologist Robert Pyle argues that most cultures have accounts of human-like giants in their folk history, expressing a need for some larger-than-life creature. Each language had its own name for the creature featured in the local version of such legends. Many names mean something along the lines of wild man or hairy man, although other names describe common actions it performed, like eating clams or shaking trees. Tree shaker sounds like a bad band name or something. Clam eater is even worse. <laughs> Chief Michelle of the 
Nlaka Pamuks at Litton, British Columbia. Wow. This is a, yeah, that's a confusing looking name. Nlaka Pamuks told a story to Charles Hill Tout in 1898. The salespeople, <laughs> not to be confused with salespeople, uh, this this name is spelled S T S apostrophe A I L E S. So make of that what you will. These people tell the stories about Sasquets, a shape shifting creature that protects the forest. The name Sasquatch is the anglicized version of Sasquets, roughly translating to hairy man in their language. Members of the Lumi tell tales about creatures known as Samquess. The stories are similar to each other in the descriptions of Samquess but details differed among various family accounts about the creature's diet and activities. Some regional versions tell of more threatening creatures. The Quiquii were a nocturnal race, and children were warned against saying the names so that the monsters would not come and carry them off to be killed. The Iroquois tell of an aggressive hair-covered giant with rock-hard skin known as the Stone Giant, more commonly referred to as the Genosqua. Yeah, Genosqua. I mean, that one looks fairly straightforward to the to the point that I'm suspicious of it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, so these creatures are thought to be highly intelligent, highly intelligent enough to avoid us. Now, my theory, well, it's not my theory, but a theory that I kind of ascribe to is that some of these creatures know that if they just put huge clumps of mud in their fur, it will harden. And that's how the natives got the name Stone Giant, because apparently their arrows would hit this creature and just bounce right off. Not just not killing it, but they would just bounce off the hard, what they thought was skin, I guess, at the time. But I, I guess in the Bigfoot community kind of think that it may have just rubbed mud and then obviously when it dries it's going to be you know hard now that the arrow would probably break the little plate that it hit at or whatever but it wouldn't necessarily you know go all the way through so that's kind of my thoughts on the quote-unquote stone giant hmm. but keep going there's some good words for you here <laughs> in so a Yep. That's something I would, yeah, that's something I would call my child. Oh, come here, little skookums. In 1847, Paul Kane reported stories by the natives about skookums, a race of cannibalistic wild men. All right, maybe not a good name for a child. Living on the peak of Mount St. Helens in southern Washington state. In an incident in 1924, a violent encounter between a group of gold prospectors and a group of ape men kicked off. This was reported in the July 16th, 1924 issue of the Oregonian and has become a popular piece of Bigfoot lore with the area now being referred to as Ape Canyon. U.S. President Theodore Roosevelt in his book, The Wilderness Hunter, writes about an elderly mountain man named Bauman in which a foul-smelling bipedal creature ransacked his beaver trapping camp, stalked him, and later became hostile when it fatally broke his companion's neck in the wilderness near the Idaho-Montana border. Roosevelt notes that Bauman appeared fearful while telling the story, but attributed the trapper's folkloric German ancestry to have potentially influenced him. Less menacing versions have also been recorded, such as one by Reverend Walker from 1840. 
Walker was a Protestant missionary who recorded stories of giants among the natives living near Spokane, Washington. These giants were said to live on... Hold on, on hold on. It's, it's Spokane, and people that live there get pissed off when people say Spokane. Spokane. Yeah. Walker was a Protestant missionary who recorded stories of giants among the natives living near Spokane, Washington. These giants were said to live on and around the peaks of the nearby mountains, stealing salmon from fishermen's nets. So, are they dangerous? Well, according to BFRO, which is kind of the... the Bigfoot Research Organization. Is that yep. what it stands for? You got it. I've, I've heard it and said it so many times. It's like, that is what it stands for, right? <laughs> it's a pretty comprehensive site of all of the Bigfoot sightings that take place in North America over all time basically i mean there there's thousands and thousands of accounts of witnesses and it's a great resource to go to if you're looking to see oh what's happened in my county it get, you know you go state by state then county by county and year by year and then the different classes so a type a which is the one that i'm most interested in, is an actual sighting so, most are from the last hundred years, but some reports extend back several centuries. These reports describe either sightings from a distance or close-range encounters. Many of the close-range encounters are about situations where backpackers and campers have been approached at night or followed or paralleled along a trail. And when we say paralleled, a lot of these reports, including the most recent report that we have close to my house, the paralleling off a trail means that you're not followed from behind. You're not followed, you know, in front. These creatures basically walk you out of their territory, walking alongside you on the trail. And, you know, people hear the footsteps, the bipedal footsteps. They hear trees snapping, stuff like that as they're being kind of escorted out. Sasquatches have likely had many opportunities to attack humans. And if you believe that any of these sightings are real, then those Sasquatches all had the opportunity to attack. But there's only two reports. Well, hold on, before we go any further, it's been said by many that the Bigfoot Research Organization website scrubs any reports that conflict with the theory that this is an inhuman great ape such as reports of shape-shifting cloaking any kind of paranormal or alien related activity so though if you're looking for those the bfro website is not a place for you to look for those so Let's get back to the two reports that describe violent attacks. So, we talked about the story that uh, Teddy Roosevelt wrote in his book, which, you know, obviously was a secondhand story. But uh, then we talked about Ape Canyon a little bit, where these miners shot a Bigfoot, and then their cabin was attacked by these creatures that threw huge stones onto the roof. So... Those are the two reports of, you know, basically 
attacks of any any sort. So, although retreating appears to be the typical response of a Sasquatch to the presence of humans, many credible reports describe after dark harassment of campers and rural property owners by animals believed to be Sasquatches. The harassment activity is usually limited to screams, crashing and snapping of tree limbs and brush, and occasionally rock throwing. Now, when we talk about rock throwing, if you believe the encounters of rock throwing or wood knocking, it has to be something with a thumb, right? I mean, I, I guess you might be able to train a bear to kind of balance a rock on its paw and, you know, move its paw, but it's not going to be able to throw things. So if you believe that rocks were thrown, you basically have to believe that it is either a human doing it or something with a thumb. And I've never heard a report of a bear throwing a rock. But people, you know, obviously are going to get scared and leave the area. So it works, but... The entire body of reports strongly suggests that squatches do not harm humans. The same body of evidence suggests that they do hunt other animals, deer, elk, raccoons, beavers, ducks, and rodents. I did hear a story recently that I just want to throw out there real quick of a jogger being found in the forest and the jogger was wearing regular jogging clothes. Some people do trail running where they'll go on hiking trails and jog them, which just seems really dangerous to me. But in any case, back in the forest, this, uh, I believe it was Kentucky, found this missing jogger who had been impaled by a tree where the top of the tree was eight foot off the ground and her body was basically placed over the top of the tree and squished down to where her, you know, the tree trunk penetrated her midsection. So that, that would be hard to do. I mean, you could, if you were climbing a tree, maybe you could fall out and land like that. It's possible that humans may have taken ladders or, you know, things that they could uh, stack up like, you know, tree trunks, branches, whatever, to get a higher position where they could put this jogger down through the tree. But that's, I don't know, it's interesting. But they're also known to kill dogs that chase or threaten them. Dogs often flee or cower in their presence, but some dogs are more aggressive. Sometimes they receive very brutal treatment as a result. Aggressive dogs have been found torn apart with Sasquatch tracks around the remains. So, watch your dogs, people. Um, not only that, but I have heard many accounts of what people believe are Sasquatch in the woods mimicking their dog's name. So, you know, maybe your dog's name is Rex, and you hear things, you know, beyond the tree line that are, you know are trying to say Rex. They're maybe not as good at it as we are, but they're clearly trying to mimic the name of the dog or if the owner whistles for their dog which you know i do when my dogs are outside i'll whistle for them they will hear the same whistles in the woods where they're mimicking 
the owner's whistle in what's believed to be an attempt to draw the dog closer to them so they can kill it and eat it or whatever they want to do. Final thoughts on that? Kim and I have been out some places that are kind of remote. You know, I mean, even the, the town that she's from originally is kind of remote, I would say. Mm-hmm. And we've heard odd sounds and we've thought of that before. You know, certain animals will mimic like the sounds of babies or things like that to try to lure people in. Mm-hmm. And I'm realizing how easy it would be to mimic what I do to call the dogs. Because okay. if I'm not if I'm not yelling, you know, mm-hmm. just hey, you know, calling their names. Yeah. Or like get over here, are you done? Like, you know, normal things that I yell, I snap. Mm-hmm. I have this like I don't know, my whole family say that my snap is like unbelievably loud it's your superpower yeah it's it's a, yeah, it's a supernatural it's a human snap, snap. <laughs> thanos would be jealous man but it's so quiet especially in the winter and uh-huh. everything's like kind of frozen and whatever it's just very echoey but i'll just snap that's such an easy noise to mimic though yeah well i mean it almost like yeah i, I heard your snap it was pretty impressive well i mean that wasn't yeah that's but it I, almost I've, sounds like rocks clacking together. Yeah, yeah, you could, yeah, you could mimic it with something like that. I've done it in the car before, just like, like I'll, I'll realize something, mm-hmm. and because I'm from like the 1930s. I'll like snap or like slap my hand down on my leg or something. Be like, oh, I fucking thought of it finally. Yeah, but like Kim will cover her ears and she's like, stop doing that. Nice. <laughs> why? Why is that so loud? <laughs> You are snapping for your dogs, and they would mimic that sound to try and draw the dogs out. So it's it's scary, and you know a lot of these dog mutilations could definitely be bears too. Tell us about the threat to adults. All right, so threat to adults. Yep. Sasquatches or Sasquatch? No, squatches do not attack humans. Do you know how Bigfoot tells time? How? With the Sasquatch. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. <sighs> Sasquatches do not attack humans, but they may stalk or harass humans in a forested area, possibly the result of a territorial conflict. Many reports describe surprise confrontations between humans and Sasquatches in various circumstances. And actually, the surprise in a lot of the encounters I've read seems to go both ways. The Sasquatch is, in a lot of cases, as surprised to see you as you are to see it. <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, they're, they've got to be just extremely difficult to sneak up on if you're trying to do it. And, you know, that's why, like in the Christopher Knoll episode, Sasquatch and Autism, you guys should check out if you haven't heard that one yet. Um, you know, he kind of says, like, you just go out where you suspect that they may be and live your life and they will come up to you. You know, Mm -hmm. you're not going to be able to track something down like this that doesn't want to be found. Now I know people wear bear bells when they hike. So they don't startle like a mama bear or something. It gives them time to, you know, flee, which is smart. And I, and I suggest that for sure. If you're in, bear country which if you're sasquatch hunting you are probably in bear country yeah yeah like you're not going to be able to sneak up on them so you just kind of live your life make them curious about you you know maybe do some tree knocks some 
rock clacking or something, but yeah. So just live your life. Let them come and find you because you're not sneaking up on them. Mm-hmm. Such confrontations may trigger intimidating displays, growling, and similar behavior like that, but not usually a physical attack. As far as children go, several reports describe easy opportunities to attack or grab children who are not closely attended. In all such situations, the Sasquatches merely observed the children until they themselves were noticed by someone. Then they simply walked or ran away. Sasquatches are known to raid chicken coops, rabbit hutches, hog pens, and fruit orchards from time to time. There are few reports of horses or cows being attacked or bothered. Now, in terms of self-protection, a bright flashlight or spotlight seems to be the most effective way to make one or more Sasquatches back off and leave an area. Even warning shots are apparently not as effective as bright spotlights, especially when carried by groups of people searching wooded areas after dark. Or you could just avoid doing that. (laughs) You know, I I mean, if you're squatching, if you're out there looking for them, go for it. But if you don't really want to find an 8-foot, 500-pound apex predator, then, yeah, don't go walking through the woods at night. Mm Mm-hmm. This response tends to quickly and permanently halt any recurring harassing behavior or theft of small livestock from rural properties. They will raid your chicken coop or whatever. I don't think it's their main, you know, food source. They, they understand that that kind of puts them out there in a, uh, you know, possible sighting or even video or photo op. Um, but there's a lot of stories of people that live, you know, next to their territories where they, I haven't heard that they break windows, but they slap on the side of the house super loud. And I mean, if you can imagine, you know, a 600 pound creature slapping the house with both hands as hard as it can, that's, that's pretty darn scary. Uh, They're also known to reposition things like they'll take you know, the shovel out of your garage and, you know, put it next to your mailbox. Just sort of weird things like that, that we don't necessarily understand why they're doing that. But it could just be, honestly, just to fuck with the people. So, in any case, you got any final thoughts on that? No, I don't. I I do think it's interesting that bright light, like detection is more of a threat. Yeah. Than anything else like then you know physical harm firearms Mm -hmm. things like that yeah and there's a lot of evidence that they understand what firearms are Mm -hmm. even the thought that so we know like orcas are able killer whales are able to teach their young through language and that's why killer whales that have never encountered humans know not to fuck with them because they know they'll be hunted down and killed And there could be a certain level of that going on, too, that we just don't want to draw any attention to ourselves. Or it could also be that they're looking at us and saying they're very Bigfoot-like. They may not be us, but they're close. And therefore, they don't want to kill us because to them, it would be like killing one of their own relatives. You know, we heard the guy say that he couldn't fire when he was looking through a scope because it looked too human maybe they look at us and say man they're really closely related and that's why we don't attack them as well but Mm -hmm. 
In any case, so we talk about Sasquatch and Bigfoot. And it kind of occurred to me that Bigfoot is almost like a thought-canceling phrase. Like if you say Bigfoot, it sounds stupid and goofy and unbelievable. And that Sasquatch is a better name because that's kind of a more describes a species it's not just like a silly thought canceling phrase but anyway in 1958 jerry crew a logging company bulldozer operator in humboldt county california which has a huge number of sightings discovered a set of large 16 inch human-like footprints sunk deep within the mud in the six rivers national forest Upon informing his co-workers, many claim to have seen similar tracks on previous job sites, as well as telling of odd incidents such as an oil drum weighing 450 pounds having been moved without explanation. So, maybe Schwarzenegger was out there, but, I mean, 450 pounds is pretty heavy. The logging company men soon began utilizing the term Bigfoot to describe the mysterious culprit. Crew, who initially believed someone was playing a prank on them, once again observed more of these numerous massive footprints and contacted reporter Andrew Gonzoli of the Humboldt Times newspaper. Gonzoli interviewed lumber workers and wrote articles about the mysterious footprints, introducing the name Bigfoot. In relation to the tracks and the local tales of large, hairy, wild men, a plaster cast was made of the footprints and crew had appeared holding one of the casts on the front page of the newspaper in October of 1958. The story spread rapidly as Gonzoli began to receive correspondence from major media outlets, including the New York Times and Los Angeles Times. Bigfoot became widespread as a reference to an apparently large, unknown bipedal ape, leaving massive footprints in Northern California. Yeah, so there's a lot of people that have said that he came out later and said it was a prank. And it, you know, just because there's a prank doesn't mean that it's not real. I mean, there's so many stories of ghosts and things like that being fake, pulling a prank on a buddy or something, but that doesn't necessarily mean that ghosts aren't real. So I, I guess take it for what you will. But let's talk about other historic uses of the term Bigfoot. And this is just a couple things that I threw in because I thought they were kind of cool. So you want to tell us about that? In the 1830s, a Wyandotte chief was nicknamed Bigfoot due to his significant size, strength, and large feet. Potawatomi chief Maumksuk, known as Chief Bigfoot, is today synonymous with the area of Walworth County, Wisconsin, and has a state park and school named for him. I don't know if that's Chief Bigfoot or Mountsuck. Dude, I would love to go to <laughs> Bigfoot High. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no Be kidding. Awesome. William A.A. A. Wallace, a famous 19th century Texas ranger, was nicknamed Bigfoot due to his large feet and today has a town named for him, Bigfoot, Texas. Lakota leader Spotted Elk was also called Chief Bigfoot. In the late 19th and 20th centuries, at least two enormous marauding grizzly bears were widely noted in the press and each nicknamed Bigfoot. The first grizzly bear called Bigfoot was reportedly killed near Fresno, California in 1895 after killing sheep for, wow, for 15 years. His weight was estimated at 2,000 pounds. The second one was active in Idaho in the 1890s and 1900s between the Snake and Salmon Rivers, and supernatural powers were attributed to it. 
So those are kind of fun. Just thought I'd throw that in to kind of lighten the mood a little bit, but we'll talk about sightings after a quick break. Hey, Crypt Keepers, I want to tell you about our affiliation with Parabox. Parabox is a t-shirt subscription box with a twist. Each month, you'll receive a new paranormal soft style tee and info card about that month's theme. The shirt and card will contain clues to finding a hidden password for use on their website. Correct entries get entered in a raffle for free gear. They're pretty dope shirts with designs about all your favorite paranormal stuff like Black Eyed Kids, Bigfoot, Nazca Lines. Uh, My favorite is a cool Battle of Los Angeles tee. The designs are actually silk screened onto a soft style tee and we all know those are super comfortable. From the moment you open your pair box, you'll be so engrossed by the t-shirt, you'll forget there's a puzzle built into it. Each shirt contains a secret password. It can be in the form of codes, ciphers, riddles, numbers, images, or other hidden gems. Have fun exploring the design and putting the pieces together to figure out where to go next. You can find the link in the show notes and we get a little kickback when you sign up for the box, so we would really appreciate it too. Hey, my name is Ryan. And I'm pretty sure I'm Joe. And we are the hosts of Movie Hell, a podcast all about movies and pop culture. We're two buddies who talk about this stuff anyway and wanted to share our own madness with all of you. Yeah, we have these discussions anyway and rant and rave about movies, TV, and pop culture in general, so why not share it? The objective of Movie Hell is to bring you reviews and discussions of flops to avoid, new stuff to see, and hidden gems that might end up being your new favorite. Whether you're looking for that perfect movie for Friday night or wondering if anybody else found Mr. Nobody as unsettling as you did, I'm sure there's something for everyone to enjoy, and if not, let us know and we can always learn and improve. Ah, boy, do we have room to improve. You can listen to Movie Howl on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, and pretty much anywhere else fine podcasts are curated. Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. Getting to sightings. According to Live Science, there have been over 10,000 reported Bigfoot sightings in the continental United States. So, you taught statistics, right? Yeah. All right. So, statistically speaking, how many of those 10,000 sightings saw a real Sasquatch? Yeah. Uh, it wouldn't require. I mean, it would be statistically very unlikely that every single one of them was a hoax or a guy in a suit or Homer Simpson who fell down a hill and was covered in mud and sticks like that one episode. (laughs) Well, all it takes is one. That's all it takes. So you guys think about that out there. I, I have heard on other podcasts literally a thousand witness encounters and all it takes is one. So just remember that if you don't believe in Sasquatch, then you have to believe that these 10,000 accounts are all hoaxes or mistaken identity. 
10,000. That's a lot. And that is in the continental United States. So when we talk about, you know, China and Russia and Australia, 10,000, 10,000 people have to be wrong or lying. Mm -hmm. About one third of all claims of Bigfoot sightings are located in the Pacific Northwest with the remaining reports spread throughout the rest of North America. And I did a little fact check on that on the BFRO website in the Pacific Northwest, including California, they do have the most sightings, but it's mostly because of Washington. Now, Illinois, Michigan, Texas, and Ohio are right behind them. Just know that it's not just something that happens in the Pacific Northwest. Most reports were considered to be mistakes or hoaxes, even by the researchers who claim Bigfoot exists. And that's true, right? I mean, obviously, you're not going to say all 10,000 of those accounts are actual Bigfoot encounters. A lot of them are going to be misidentification. I don't know how many are hoaxes, but I'm sure a majority of them are are misidentification cases. But, like mm-hmm. we said, it only takes one. Yeah, I mean, statistics... When you perform any kind of statistical analysis, you have to set a confidence level. And the confidence level is <clears throat> sort of a, a measure of how how much support for your hypothesis you want to have to have. And it's a balance between type 1 and type 2 errors. Either you, the hypothesis you're looking at is true, but you reject it as false, or it's false and you mistakenly assume that it's true. You know what I mean? So, like, mm-hmm. you might want to set your confidence level a little bit lower because if you're looking for proof you know so many so much percent of the time that these sightings are real like each time we got dna or whatever there's a very good chance that you're going to reject the hypothesis that bigfoot is real when he is does that make sense i don't feel like i'm explaining this particularly well it's i'm only through my first uh energy drink of the day like about Hmm. probably 80 percent through but yeah i I mean if, if you're looking for too much proof, then you have a strong chance of of rejecting a true hypothesis. Right, right. So it's like if you say all of these 10,000 sightings should have photographs. Right. Then you're severely limiting what you're going to come out with as your outcome. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit just about the Patterson-Gimlin film. And we may get back into this in a little bit, but basically Roger Patterson and Bob Gimlin were real-life cowboys. And they were in uh, Northern California, Bluff Creek, and they spotted what appears to be a Sasquatch walking through a dry creek bed. And they did have a camera. They were... Okay, so it's important to say that they, they were looking for... Sasquatch. And they had a camera. Roger Patterson jumped off his horse, grabbed his camera, and started to shoot. And Bob Gimlin, I believe, stayed, I don't know if he stayed on his horse or got off, but he drew his rifle and was ready to fire if the thing, you know, turned and came after them Mm -hmm. or whatever. And basically, people that do not want to believe just say, 
guy in a suit, period. Now, if that's your view, again, go to the Thinker Thunker YouTube page and watch his videos on it and how he breaks things down. And in the Patterson-Gimlin film, this creature has many different distinguishing features that go against it being a person in a suit. So you can clearly see the foot pads, the bottom of the feet when she lifts up her her foot when she's taking a step. It's an odd gait and extremely difficult for people to try and reenact. Now, she also had breasts, pretty big breasts that were swinging in the video. Now, <laughs> Uh, pendulous, I mean, pendulous, pendulous. <laughs> <laughs> yes, pendulous memories. But uh, in any case, so so there's that. There's an analysis of the head, where a you can see a facial expression change, which is hard to do on a mask, not impossible. With this, if you look at where the eyes are located on the head and how the skull structure, it's hard to explain, but how the skull structure is formed, if a person was in that suit, for the eyes to actually be coming out where they would come out on the mask, the person would have to have an extremely malformed head where it basically goes straight back a couple inches over their brow ridge and then shoots up into you know what could be a, a suit if you you know, consider the the coned head or whatever, but you it would take a deformed person physically to be able to fit into that suit with that head structure and create the blinks that you see in the in the video where she's blinking. You can go back to the arm length and arm structure where the elbow appears and, and things like that. And again the body ratio, legs to arms. There are a lot of reports from anatomy folks is a good way to say it where they see that she has basically a herniated muscle in her leg where the muscle kind of pops through as she's walking so you would have to find somebody with a deformed head that would fit into this suit they would have to be able to easily traverse this creek, dry creek bed, and they would have had to have thought, okay, if we're going to hoax this, let's give her some breasts. That'll really, you know, send it home. I believe that this was 67, I think, when this occurred. And just go look at the Planet of the Apes suits. And that was from a couple years later, the original Planet of the Apes. And they won all kinds of awards for their makeup, their prosthetics, you know, how they made these humans look like basically, you know, a cross between a, a human and an ape. And with them winning those awards, this video from a few years earlier is head and shoulders above any design that you see in that movie so they would have had to have had a suit that was made by somebody 
who's better than Hollywood special effects artists at the time. So those are a lot of things that lend credence to the possibility that, or in my in my opinion, I believe 100% that what you see in the Patterson-Gimlin film is an authentic Sasquatch. What are your thoughts on that video? Because I know you've seen, everybody's seen this one. It's, it's the most famous one. Yeah, everybody's seen it. And if you're thinking of a Bigfoot sighting, you're you're thinking of this. It's almost certain, right? It's been memed. I mean, like I was saying earlier, it's it was memed in The Simpsons. Right. It's kind of like if if you know Disney, you know who Mickey Mouse is. If right. you know anything about Bigfoot, you know who you know Patty is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I was always pretty convinced by it. It. I don't know. There's something about the gait, the length of the arms. You know, there there are certain f- physiological characteristics that look like they'd be hard to fake. Mm-hmm. You know, I've never seen a person walk that way. I've never seen arms quite like that. Wow. Oh, and th- there's a clear financial benefit today to hoaxing something like that, right? Mm-hmm. You can put it on YouTube and get a bunch of views and get monetized, or you know, get on TV, all this sort of thing. But back when this happened, you know, shooting on like eight millimeter film, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just not the easiest thing in the world to fake. And there's not the, a clear motive. I mean, there's always been people who want to hoax something in the hopes that they'll get like a book deal, a movie deal, they'll get on TV, something like that. But, you know, I think that's more prevalent today than it was back then. So I'm more inclined to believe it. YouTube has stopped monetizing Sasquatch videos just because there were so many hoaxes and mm. and all that. I don't know that for sure, but I have heard that secondhand. And I have noticed that, you know, any of the Sasquatch videos that I watch on YouTube now, they have no commercials, which is kind of nice for me. It just goes right into the video. I don't have to watch, you know, 30 seconds of a John Hamm movie coming out. <laughs> What's wrong with John Hamm? He's a local St. Louis boy. No, I love John Hamm. I'm, I'm just throwing that out there. But uh, in any case, this would have to be the perfect storm of a brilliant, brilliant costume designer. Now, in this video, uh, some of the other things that we point out is that her stride is just so effortless. Now, you put on a furry costume and see how effortlessly you can walk down a creek bed. Right. Another thing that's brought up a lot is that when she turns for her famous, you know, the, the most famous picture, she the doesn't shot. Right. She doesn't turn her head. She turns her whole body. And the yeah. reason that is, is because there's not a lot of neck in these guys. And there's like, think about a bodybuilder because that's basically how most of them are described as being enormously strong humanoid shapes there's kind of a funny video where a guy's like i don't i don't want to be a weightlifter and i'll show you why and he like puts a sticker on somebody's back that's like obviously a bodybuilder and he can't get it off because he can't reach around because he's too muscled up and it's the same thing you know their traps are just ridiculous and the traps are the muscles that connect kind of the back to the neck to the back of the head and it's just a big 
pile of meat right there. There's no neck, it's just all muscle. So they can't turn their heads like we can to look over their shoulders. So she turns around from the waist. Yeah, but people are going to say that's because it's a suit, like the Michael Keaton Batman. Mm -hmm. Or he couldn't really turn his head. He turns his whole body to look around. Yeah, could be. But I Uh, have seen that video before. I know exactly the one you're talking about, the big dude who can't reach the thing on his back. Yeah, so like a gorilla I'm, trying to get like something off of him. the guy right. so big. Yeah, that's why I don't want to get huge. I no, but uh, no. <laughs> it's if you watch the video, what science says, they turn their head and look away and say "guy in a suit," and that's not science. <laughs> but in any case, I implore you: if you have not seen this video, watch it. Go to, and I keep going back to this, but Thinker Thunker is an amazing video analyst and he's been doing it for decades. And he, we tried to get him on the show, but he doesn't do podcast appearances at all. I, I don't know why. I, I assume that it's probably because a lot of people call him on there and be like, oh, well, you believe anything. You're just a dumbass. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. all negative stuff. So. I assume that's why. But if you haven't watched the videos, go watch the videos. I'm not asking you to go read a book. This is easy. A couple minutes a day, you can watch a few videos. He even has his own app on Roku that you can pull up. Amazing analysis. But nobody wants to look at that. They just want to say, guy in a suit, guy in a suit. You know, there's one where a beast of some sort lifts up like a 30-foot tree and throws it but it's a guy in a suit. So watch the videos, please. Other prominent areas of supposed sightings include the rural areas of the Great Lakes region and southeastern United States. According to data collected from the BFRO, Washington has over 2,000 reported sightings, California over 1,600, Pennsylvania over 1,300, New York and Oregon over 1,000, and Texas has just over 800. When we say New York, we're not talking about New York City, obviously. We're talking about rural New York, and it gets very, very rural, just so you know. What about some some of the cool names? Like, Tell us about some of the different names. Many regions have different names for the creatures. In Canada, the name Sasquatch is widely used, although often interchangeably with the name Bigfoot. The United States uses both of these names, but also has numerous names and descriptions of the creatures depending on the region and area in which they are allegedly sighted. These include Skunk Ape in Florida and other southern states, Grass Man in Ohio, Folk Monster, Folk? Fook? F-O-U-K-E, pronounce that how you will, in Arkansas, uh, Wood Booger in Virginia, (laughs) The Monster of Whitehall in Whitehall, New York, Momo in Missouri, which... I don't recall hearing. Yeah, so Momo is a story, and I'll tell the story in the after party, but basically it was a sighting that happened in, I think, Hannibal, Missouri, where a number of different groups of people saw this monster. And Mm. it's important to point out, I think, basically when you say grass man, that's interchangeable with Sasquatch. Skunk ape, interchangeable with Sasquatch. Like the folk monster in Arkansas, it's a specific Sasquatch that's terrorizing this town or whatever. Wood booger, I think, is kind of synonymous with Sasquatch. We hear them called wood boogers all the time. 
Now, when you say the monster of Whitehall, you're probably talking about a specific single Sasquatch. Mm -hmm. Momo is short for Missouri monster. We're talking about a specific Sasquatch or or Sasquatch-like creature that was spotted in a couple places in Missouri over the course of a couple days. The Honey Island Swamp Monster in Louisiana, another specific Sasquatch. Dewey Lake Monster, specific. Mogollon Monster, specific. Uh, Big Muddy Monster, specific. Now you could go to the Old Men of the Mountain in West Virginia and, you know, say that's probably synonymous too. But when you include these very fairy tale like encounters with single Sasquatch, not yeah. everybody in Arkansas calls Sasquatch a folk monster. Not everybody in Missouri calls Sasquatch, Missouri Sasquatch, Momo. And it kind of, I, I think, does a disservice when we mention all these specific things in relation to the general uh, thought of Sasquatch being real. So there's gorillas. We, you know, maybe they, I'm sure they have a different name for them in, you know, the parts of Africa where the gorillas are. And King Kong. King Kong, I know King Kong's giant, but King Kong refers to a specific thing. And gorilla applies to the specific species or whatever if that makes sense so yeah i particularly since you already went through the rest of them i won't do it but i I like the honey island swamp monster that's have you seen that video oddly specific no so it's it's on in a swamp and it really looks to me like somebody in a ghillie suit yeah but it's specific to that place so if death cab for cutie formed today and listened to this podcast they might have named their band honey island swamp monster never know you never know (laughs) it's a good hipster band name though it is uh the term wood ape is also used by some as a means to deviate from the perceived mythical connotations surrounding the name bigfoot which is fair because like i was saying earlier it's there are a lot of theories that Bigfoot is not a like real flesh and blood, like physical creature that is bound by the same laws of physics and nature that we are, that they might be interdimensional. They might be some kind of spirit. They might be, you know, something that we're seeing through a time slip. And also, if you think about it, I mean, if we see ghosts of people, you know, there's a lot of stories of ghosts of human beings. There's, You know, there's some of animal ghosts, but I mean, I think we can agree that the majority is of human beings. And I think that a lot of that stems around the thought that human beings have a soul. Now, personally, I believe that all animals have some sort of spirit, some some spark of life that was given to them. But it would make sense if Sasquatch are human-like creatures and and closely related to humans that they may have a soul too and if they're if they have a soul then you know in my opinion you can have a ghost so uh, i know it seems wild but theoretically you could have bigfoot ghosts in the woods but yeah it you're right though it does uh kind of take away credibility in some people's minds uh, other names include Bushman, Tree Man, and Wild Man. 
all very sexist and patriarchal if you ask me. So would you like to get into some Bigfoot behaviors? Sure. So some Bigfoot researchers allege that Bigfoot throws rocks as a territorial display for communication. And, you know, some people are going to say, oh, that's stupid. But we see this in other great apes. Chimpanzees all the time will break off limbs and smack them against trees and shake them. And it's a threatening behavior. It's like, I don't want to come and kill you. So I'm going to scare you. And if that doesn't work, then things persist. But again, it could be, you know, mutant bears with thumbs displaying a behavior that's never been documented by science. So you can't have it both ways. You can't say, I mean, for some reason, just that as a concept is really funny. That'd be like a, like a show that would be on adult swim on Cartoon Network at night, (laughs) bears with thumbs. And it would just be like the adventures of two. The bears would basically be us as like roommates. Just getting into... <laughs> anyway. They come out in their uh, Lucha Libre masks to thumb wrestle. <laughs> now... Yeah. yeah. So, panda bears and red pandas have pseudo-thumbs, which is kind of like a bone that sticks out that they can use to grasp things with. But there's no panda bears in the United States outside of zoos. And... I don't know that there's ever been a recorded case of a panda bear throwing a rock and certainly not red pandas who are, you know, small, but we see it in other great apes. And I I feel like things are cherry picked, you know, like it's just like science isn't, isn't going to even consider that this could be real. And they just say things that are unscientific but then try and use science to prove that Bigfoot isn't real. And I know you can't prove a negative, but still, you know, you can't, you can't say, oh, well, you know, it's, it's definitely black bears and the rock throwing behavior, you know, that I guess you just have to completely dismiss it and say that that's, that's all a lie, but you can't, you can't have it both ways. You can't say that it's a bear and say that it's been throwing rocks, even though bears can't throw rocks but anyway other alleged behaviors include audible blows struck against trees or wood knocking further alleged to be communicative yes it's believed by many that they don't vocalize necessarily all the time and you can you know clack rocks together or pick up a a branch or a stick and bang it against a tree and you know, we see chimpanzees do that, not necessarily to communicate, but to communicate anything besides, you know, leave me alone, get out of here. But people believe that the Sasquatch uses it to say like, hey, I'm over here behind this campsite. And then another one, you know, a quarter mile down the trail the other way hits and says, okay, I'm here. And they don't have to vocalize. They can just use that to communicate. But Structures of broken and twisted foliage seemingly placed in specific areas have been attributed to Bigfoot behavior. Now, if you've spent any time in the forest, as I have, you will find trees that fall into each other. Uh, One will fall into the crook of a branch of another one. Uh, They could even, you know, kind of get piled up to make almost like a teepee effect. But when you have you know, four inch, six inch trees that are healthy, that have been snapped 
and stacked up in you know these elaborate formations it's not something that bears do could it be something that humans do you know just to mess with people sure but you would see axe marks or chainsaw marks or stuff like that so it's hard for me to just dismiss these as human hoaxes or anything because i don't think that they're capable i mean i i guess you know you're a big guy could you snap a six inch maple probably not no maybe if i got up in a tree and cannonballed out onto it and then I could break it maybe once. Yeah, maybe a a box maybe a of kamikaze and mission. a couple rains, and you're all set. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, then maybe I would survive it. So, in some reports, lodgepole pine and other small trees have been bent, uprooted, or stacked in patterns such as weaved and crisscrossed, leading to theories that they're potential territorial markings, which would make sense. Just on a side, I was on a hike, pretty deep in the in the woods. And I came across some small trees that were torn out of the ground and placed about 10 foot, eight to 10 foot off the ground in some branches. It's totally something that humans could have done. They, these were like very dead trees that could have been pulled up by, you know, they're small enough that a human could have done it. And they're low enough off the ground that a human could have thrown them up there and there's about six or seven of them i think and yes definitely something that humans could have done but i was way off trail and way deep into the woods it seems like to me if you're not going to videotape it a hoax that is then you're going to put it in a place where it will likely be found makes no sense to go way deep into the woods where you you know logically nobody's going to be and you know create a hoax like this same thing with footprints i mean if you're eight miles back into the forest and you go to you know a little creek and you see these human-like footprints that are huge a they're not going to last forever they're not going to be there very long and b the chances that someone's going to see it are slim to none that's that's my thoughts on it. I, I believe that some of them are fake. And I believe that there's a lot of hoaxers that do fake this stuff and then videotape it and say, oh, look at, you know, go to my website and check out my new, uh, you know, Bigfoot structures that I found or whatever. So in any case, you want to tell us about the vocalizations. Vocalizations such as howls, screams, moans, grunts, whistles, and even a form of supposed language have been reported and allegedly recorded. Some of these vocalization recordings have been analyzed by retired U.S. Navy cryptologic linguist Scott Nelson. 
He analyzed audio recordings from the 1970s, said to be recorded in the Sierra Nevada mountains, dubbed the Sierra Sounds, and stated, It is definitely a language, it is definitely not human in origin, and it could not have been faked. So we're talking about somebody who basically analyzed audio from many different languages. He was trained by the U.S. Navy to decrypt recordings where, you know, people will use sometimes their native tongue, sometimes there's just made up stuff that they say to refer to other things. Yeah, he listened to the Sierra Sounds and he came to his conclusions. I mean, it's it's pretty pretty hard to deny, you know, someone of his training and, you know, again, a military man. It's not somebody who's necessarily going to want to come out and say this stuff because it could have affected his career, maybe his retirement, who knows. But did you get a chance to listen to the Sierra sounds? I did. Yeah, it's a combination of like whoops and shouts and howls, you know, like what we're hearing here. But there's also like knocking noises and there's a lot to it. And it does seem to be that there seems to be a pattern to it. Mm -hmm. So I could get why somebody would believe that there's you know that it's a language that there's meaning and intent behind it yeah yeah i'll play a little clip it's generally referred to as samurai chatter because the sounds are similar to old chinese kung fu movie or an old samurai movie where they are you know speaking in one to two syllable words and there's like grunting and emphasis placed in certain spots that kind of make it sound like that but i'll I'll play a little bit of it and it's it's pretty incredible Again, another. I know I keep going back to Thinker Thunker, but I want you guys to believe he does a series called Sonic Sasquatch, where he analyzes the audio and shows 
where sounds continue beyond what we can hear, if that makes sense. So you might be able to hear me talking right now, but if I was able to change my voice out of something a human could hear, you, you wouldn't necessarily hear that, but you can see it on sound files. And that you see that some of these vocalizations last longer than what a human would have capacity for in their lungs. The audio is amazing. Now you want to tell us about Survivor Man? Yeah. Les Stroud spoke of a strange vocalization he heard in the wilderness while filming Survivor Man that he stated sounded primate in origin. Most mainstream scientists maintain that the source of the sounds often attributed to Bigfoot are either hoaxes, anthropomorphization, or likely misidentified and produced by known animals such as owl, wolf, coyote, and fox. I could kind of see that for coyotes. Mm-hmm. Or coyotes, depending on what part of the country you're in. Because mm-hmm. I heard coyotes last night. You know, that chatter that they do when there's a bunch of them running around. Mm-hmm. And it's real creepy because it's hard to tell how far away they are. Yeah. So I've got my two little dogs outside and I'm hearing this chatter like getting closer and closer. It's like, all right, it's somewhere on the other side of the lake that's, you know, over this way. Hopefully. <laughs> Just trying to help the dogs get back in soon so I don't have to go out there and wreck a bunch of coyotes to protect my (laughs) dogs well that's very true and and foxes make a crazy sound too yeah yeah foxes do that that scream noise Mm -hmm. but we're also talking about les stroud this is not a normal outdoorsman this is a guy who spends probably months every year in the wilderness on his own and it's a great show if you haven't seen it. He's a, a really seems like a nice guy and someone who I don't believe would make any of this up. Yeah, and isn't Survivor Man the one where he's actually doing this stuff alone? Oh yeah, yeah, it's all real. it's Man versus Wild where they like it's staged. Yeah, it's I mean it's not a hundred percent staged, but he's got like a crew with him. Survivor Man's the one where he's actually by himself. Yeah, he's gotta carry a hundred pounds of cameras through the woods yeah. and batteries. But yeah, I mean he's he's the real deal. He goes out by himself, you know, he takes a knife, he he takes a few things with him, but he's essentially in the woods by himself. And he's gone all over the world, and if he's telling me that he's never heard this before then, I mean, you have to, uh, he's essentially an outdoor expert. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's not a, a, a guy that hunts once a year. It's a guy who spends a lot of his life in the forest. So, I mean, I have to go with it. And, you know, I grew up with owls all over the place, barred owls, you know, all kinds of weird sounds that they make. But even just me living in that area, I could tell you if that was a barred owl or hoot owl or it was you know a specific like oh i've heard this one before you know this must be his territory sounds a little different than the other ones i hear out there and to just dismiss it is just so easy it's kind of sad the stance that science has taken on it that it just cannot be real therefore everything is fake Mm -hmm. so we talked a little bit 
about the Battle of Ape Canyon, and that was where the miners reported being attacked by large hairy ape men that threw rocks onto their cabin roof from a nearby cliff after one of the miners allegedly shot one with a rifle. So just going back to the folk monster in Arkansas, in 1971, a family reported that a large hair-covered creature startled a woman after reaching through a window. So that's pretty scary. You know, you see a big arm come through a window. It's like the uh, scene in uh, King Kong where Mm -hmm. this long arm just reaches in and grabs her and yanks her out. When you say hoax, it's a thought-canceling word. You know, like when people hear, oh, this was a possible hoax, but this is what happened. They don't listen anymore. They just say, oh, it was a hoax. Now, speaking of hoaxes... In 1974, the New York Times presented the dubious tale of Albert Ostman, a Canadian prospector who stated that he was kidnapped and held captive by a family of Bigfoot for six days in 1924 in the Toba Inlet of British Columbia. So in this story, we have a man who is... This guy claims that he was scooped up and carried to this family of squatches, and they saw him using uh, snuff, which I'm assuming is chew of the time, yeah. you know, tobacco. Yeah. And they saw him put it in his mouth. And one of them was like, oh, it's food and grabbed it and just like dumped the whole can in their mouth. And then obviously they started, you know, vomiting and got sick. And that was his chance to escape and he got away. But why would they kidnap somebody? If they kidnap you, they're probably going to eat you and well maybe they want a pet i mean it could be or it could be you know he's taking them back like see these are the assholes you guys got to watch out for now we got to kill him he knows he knows about us but (laughs) yeah i just i don't you know obviously you can't get into their heads but it just doesn't make sense that you know an animal would capture a human and you know a grown man not like a toddler in distress or something like that and just be like yeah we're gonna keep him but so so i kind of discount that story but who knows you know anything's possible so you want to tell us about the 2021 hulu documentary series sasquatch sure this documentary describes marijuana or the devil's lettuce farmers telling stories about bigfoot's bigfoot's big feet Bigfoots. It's written Bigfoots. Harassing and killing people within the Emerald Triangle region in the 1970s through the 1990s, and specifically the alleged murder of three migrant workers in 1993. Investigative journalist David Holthouse attributes the stories to illegal drug operations using the local Bigfoot lore to scare away competition. Very Scooby-Doo sounding. Specifically, superstitious immigrants and that the high rate of murder and missing persons in the area is attributed to human actions. In the early 1990s, 911 audio recordings were made public in which a homeowner in Kitsap County, Washington, called law enforcement for assistance with a large subject, describing him as being all in black, having entered his backyard. He previously reported to law enforcement that his dog was killed recently when it was thrown over his fence. We're just going to play that for you right now. Uh, with someone or something crawling around out here. What person or an animal? Or? I can't tell. All I know is my central light came on and I just happened to glimpse and see this running across the yard. A good-sized man. 
something that looks like a man. I don't know what it was, just that it ran across the yard. Jesus Christ, you better... Yeah, Hello? Get somebody out there. What's going on now, sir? That son of a bitch is about six foot nine, I don't know. You see him now, sir? Yes, I'm moving right at him. Okay, hang on. He's right. Is he in your yard, sir? Yeah, God, he's big. Okay, what's he near your yard? He's looking big. Anthropologist Jeffrey Meldrum notes that any large predatory animal is potentially dangerous to humans, specifically if provoked, but indicates that most anecdotal accounts of Bigfoot encounters result in the creatures hiding or fleeing from people. Some amateur researchers have reported the creatures moving or taking possession of intentional gifts left by humans such as food and jewelry and leaving items in their place such as rocks and twigs. And I've heard stuff like that as well. You've probably read some of these, you know, leaving oh, like yeah. jars of peanut butter and whatever else stuff that you know bigfoot likes uh, allegedly they're into zagnut bars zagnut yeah. <laughs> yeah sounds about right skeptics argue that many of these alleged human interactions are easily hoaxed or the result of misidentification so could be true i, I mean absolutely but and i know that there's a plethora of stupid people out there but i mean most hikers you know if you're going to be at least in bear country are going to carry a firearm and right i mean i've gone to i've i've we've talked about this before i've gone to you know i've gone on hikes and things like that or gone to places with the intention of taking photos mm-hmm and checked like check the website for the national park or whatever area it is and a lot of the times they'll warn you you know there are these types of wildlife there mm-hmm. you should or should not have some kind of weapon or way to protect yourself especially if you're going to be off the main trail at all mm-hmm. so yeah i mean even me going in to like take pictures with my old film cameras like i i will have something on me yeah so it's not a great idea to try to sneak up on and scare people out in the woods who are Especially if they look prepared. It's stupid, and people have been hurt in these hoaxes. But you could fake the gifts, I guess. But evidence is kind of pointing away from hoaxes in a lot of cases. Not in all of them. Some of them are known, which we'll get into. But in any case, various explanations have been suggested for sightings and to offer conjecture on what existing animal has been misidentified in supposed sightings of Bigfoot. Scientists typically attribute sightings either to hoaxes or to misidentification of known animals in their tracks, particularly black bear. You want to tell us about the bars? The bears. The bears. Mainstream scientists theorize that American black bears are a likely culprit for most Bigfoot sightings, particularly when observers view a subject from afar, are in dense foliage, or there are poor lighting conditions. Additionally, black bears have been observed and recorded walking upright, often as the result of an injury. While upright, adult black bears stand roughly 5 to 7 feet tall and grizzly bears roughly 8 to 9 feet, both within the range of anecdotal Bigfoot reports. In 2007, Bigfoot Field Research Organization, BFRO, put forward photos which they stated showed a juvenile Bigfoot. The Pennsylvania Game Commission, however, stated that the photos were of a bear with mange. The Pennsylvania Game Commission unsuccessfully attempted to locate the suspected mangy bear, 
Scientist Vanessa Woods estimated that the subject in the photo had approximately 22-inch long arms and an 18.75-inch torso, concluded it was more comparable to a chimpanzee. Speaking of which, there are escaped apes. Some have proposed that sightings of Bigfoot may simply be people observing and misidentifying known great apes such as chimpanzees, gorillas, or orangutans that have escaped from captivity such as zoos, circuses, and exotic pets belonging to private owners. This explanation is often proposed in relation to the Bigfoot-like skunk ape, as some argue the humid, subtropical climate of the southeastern United States could potentially support a population of escaped apes. And then there are also humans that can be misidentified. So humans have been mistaken for Bigfoot, with some incidents leading to injuries. You know, kind of like what we were talking about before. In 2013, a 21-year-old man in Oklahoma was arrested after he told law enforcement he accidentally shot his friend in the back while their group was allegedly hunting for Bigfoot. In 2017, a shamanist wearing clothing made of animal furs was vacationing in a North Carolina forest when local reports of alleged Bigfoot sightings flooded in. Okay, so yeah, a a shaman on vacation. It's just, (laughs) okay. You know, like, I just don't see a shaman being like, man, I have got to... I just got to get away from it all. Yeah, I'm going (laughs) to dress up in fur and go sleep in the woods in North Carolina. I guess it, you know, it could happen, but... The Greenville Police Department issued a public notice not to shoot Bigfoot in fear of someone in a fursuit mistakenly being injured or killed. Additionally, some have attributed feral humans or hermits living in the wilderness as being another explanation for alleged Bigfoot sightings. One famous story, The Wild Man of the Navidad, tells of a wild ape man who roamed the wilderness of eastern Texas in the mid-19th century, stealing food and goods from local residents. In the 1980s, a number of psychologically damaged American Vietnam veterans were stated by the state of Washington's Veterans Affairs Director to have been living in remote wooded areas of the state. So let's talk a little bit about pareidolia. Some have proposed that pareidolia may explain Bigfoot sightings, specifically the tendency to observe human-like faces and figures within the natural environment. Photos and videos of poor quality alleged to depict Bigfoots are often attributed to this phenomenon and commonly referred to as blob squatch, which is so true. I mean, so many of these, oh, I I shot a picture of Bigfoot. I'm like, come on, man. You really are going to waste your time putting this out there. You're on a fucking 720 video camera from a mile away, and you take a clip out of the video and see this, and you think you caught a Bigfoot? It's ridiculous, and that really ruins it for a lot of people. They they see these, and that's all they see, and they're like, oh, it's all hoaxes. Everybody's making it up, or they're all just stupid and see a black spot in a tree and say, oh, it's a Bigfoot. So, all right, you want to tell us a little bit about some hoaxes? Well, yeah, I'm kind of thinking about ghost adventures, mm-hmm. talking about blob squatch. You know, that's a show that I think has probably done more harm than good in a lot of ways because they react to everything. Agreed. Like things that are, I, I've told you that before, like we'll watch it and they'll be like, oh, look at this, this orb or this thing. Yeah. And I'll open my mouth and start to point and Kim's like, I know it's not real. Mm-hmm. I don't need you to explain why it's not real, but I <laughs> believe that you have a real explanation <laughs> about why the camera made that happen. Mm-hmm. And it's like, 
I don't know. I feel like some of the older shows, like the original Ghost Hunters, like in their early seasons, were very good about explaining this stuff. Mm-hmm. And they would even have things where it's like, oh, there is a spider web over here near this camera. Uh-huh. Doesn't really look like what we saw, but since it could be, we have to discount it. Yeah. Or they would know, like, you know, okay, this orb is really a bug that is reflecting the IR light. And the reason it seems to appear and disappear is because it's flying into the focal plane of the lens. Like, there are are real explanations to a lot of this stuff, but when you just react to everything and you look for paranormal evidence in every little thing that happens, it discounts the stuff that's real, that's, like, impactful. Right. Because I do believe that Ghost Adventures has caught some, you know, significant evidence yeah but the fact that you have zach all the time like oh i'm so full of rage right now i want to rip people's throats out and acting like a fucking lunatic Mm -hmm. it just like diminishes the more serious parts of it like it's super entertaining Mm -hmm. like i i enjoy watching him i don't want to know him (laughs) like i don't want to hang around with him because he apparently everything makes him like fly into a rage and want to hurt people but only when he's possessed yeah but it's like yeah if if they got a little bit more serious it would obviously be less entertaining it's it's clear that they're hyping it all up for that but it just yeah when you're looking for it everywhere whether it's true pareidolia where you think you're seeing it or it's just you're you're trying to throw everything at the wall to see what sticks it i think it it detracts from the legitimacy of the better evidence you're going to capture yeah it has to yeah all right so on to hoaxes (laughs) Both Bigfoot believers and non-believers agree that many of the reported sightings are hoaxes or misidentified animals. Author Jerome Clark argues that the Jacko affair was a hoax involving an 1884 newspaper report of an ape-like creature captured in British Columbia. He cited research by John Green, who found that several contemporaneous British Columbia newspapers regarded the alleged capture as highly dubious, and notes that the mainland guardian of New Westminster, British Columbia, wrote, and this is a publication, absurdity is written on the face of it. In 1968, the frozen corpse of a supposed hair-covered hominid measuring 5 feet 11 inches was paraded around the United States as part of a traveling exhibition. Now, apart from being a frozen corpse, that sounds like my buddy Jim. <laughs> that boy is the hairiest person I've ever met. He he looks like he's wearing a fur ascot when he wears like a polo with one of the buttons undone. Many stories, <laughs> and, and back in the day, I mean, not the 60s, but earlier... You know, freak shows. It was just people with like some kind of deformity, or you know, they're exceptionally hairy. Yeah, yeah, that's unfortunate for him. Yeah, many stories surfaced as to its origins, such as it having been killed by hunters in Minnesota or killed by American soldiers near Da Nang during the Vietnam War. It was attributed to be proof of Bigfoot-like creatures. Primatologist John R. Napier studied the subject and concluded it was a hoax made of latex. Others disputed this, claiming Napier did not study the original subject. As of 2013, the Minnesota Iceman is on display at the Museum of the Weird in Austin, Texas. And now that I'm reading this, I realize I've seen this before because I was at that museum like two years ago. That's cool. Yeah. So it didn't look fake from what I remember. I do remember seeing it in in a glass case. It definitely didn't look latex. It didn't look like it was aging the way latex does. Tom Biscardi, longtime Bigfoot enthusiast and CEO of Searching for Bigfoot, Inc., 
appeared on the Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Radio Show on July 14, 2005, and said that he was 98% sure that his group will be able to capture Bigfoot, which they had been tracking in the Happy Camp, California area. Man, there's so many good names in that that paragraph. (laughs) A month later, he announced on the same radio show that he had access to a captured Bigfoot and was arranging a pay-per-view event for people to see it. He appeared on Coast to Coast AM again a few days later to announce that there was no captive Bigfoot. He blamed an unnamed woman for misleading him and said that the show's audience was gullible. Man, so this guy blamed a woman and then said it's your fault out there for believing me. Yeah, totally unacceptable. I mean, that guy should be ostracized from the community immediately. Like, once you hoax something, like, I've thought about doing a video. I I actually have, like, a cheap Bigfoot costume just to see what it would look like. You know, I have my old 720 handy cam with IR and, and all that. And I, I wanted to just see if I could hoax it. But I would never say this is a real Bigfoot. I would say find the flaws in this hoax or something along those lines. But once you actually hoax something, I'm not going to believe you again. It's just that simple you know i'm not go- if you if you hoax something one time and i know you hoaxed it we're done i have no time for you so right maybe this woman was in on rio but might be so now comes the greatest hoaxer of all time rick dyer liar liar pants on fire after a quick break we'll tell you more about it Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. On July 9th, 2008, Rick Dyer and Matthew Witten posted a video to YouTube claiming that they had discovered the body of the dead Bigfoot in a forest in northern Georgia. Your boy, Tom Biscardi, was contacted to investigate. Dyer and Witten received $50,000 from Searching for Bigfoot, Inc. The story was covered by major news networks, and soon after a press conference, the alleged Bigfoot body was delivered in a block of ice in a freezer to the Searching for Bigfoot team. When the contents were thawed, observers found that the hair was not real, the head was hollow, and the feet were rubber. Dyer and Witten admitted that it was a hoax after being confronted by Steve Coles. And if you just, if that was my name, I'd just go by S and you'd just call me Skulls. But he's the executive director of SasquatchDetective.com. In August of 2012, a man in Montana was killed by a car while perpetrating a Bigfoot hoax using a ghillie suit. So, blow. In January 2014, Rick Dyer, perpetrator of a previous Bigfoot hoax, said that he had killed a Bigfoot in September 2012 outside San Antonio. He claimed to have had scientific tests done on the body from DNA tests to 3D optical scans to body scan. It's the real deal. It's Bigfoot, and Bigfoot's here, and I shot it, and now I'm proving it to the whole, whole world. (laughs) After your hoax from a couple years ago. He said that he kept the body in a hidden location, and he intended to take it on tour across North America in 2014. I have to believe that if the government believed this guy even just a little bit, they'd check it out and take it you know i I mean the government's like dude this guy's a fucking clown 
So, he released photos of the body in a video showing a few individuals' reactions to seeing it, but never released any of the tests or scans. Of course not. He refused to disclose the test results or to provide biological samples, and said that the DNA results were done by an undisclosed lab and could not be matched to identify any known animal. Dyer said that he would reveal the body and tests on February 9th, 2014 at a news conference at Washington University, but he never made the results available. After the Phoenix tour, the Bigfoot body was taken to Houston. On March 28th, 2014, Dyer admitted on his Facebook page that this Bigfoot corpse was another hoax. He had paid Chris Russell of Twisted Toy Box to manufacture the prop from latex, foam, and camel hair, which he nicknamed Hank. Dyer earned approximately $60,000 from the tour of this second fake Bigfoot corpse. And I googled his net worth. One million dollars. Crazy. He stated that he did kill a Bigfoot, but did not take the real body on tour for fear it would be stolen. Like, I mean, it's just lie after lie after lie. And I put this in there to illustrate what kind of damage hoaxes can do. So, I mean, this guy is just a fucking lying, lying liar. You sit on a throne of lies. On July 7th, 2022, wildlife educator and media personality Coyote Peterson released a post on Facebook in which he claimed to have discovered a large primate skull in British Columbia, indicating that he had excavated and smuggled the skull into the United States for a primatologist to review. He further claimed to have initially hidden the discovery due to concerns that government agencies may intervene. And we know from the demonetization that big Sasquatch is uh, lobbying the government. Exactly. (laughs) The post went viral, quickly garnering the attention of multiple scientists who dismissed the skull as likely a replica of a gorilla skull. Darren Nash, a vertebrate paleontologist stated, I'm told that coyote Peterson does this sort of thing fairly often as clickbait and that this is a stunt done to promote an upcoming video. Maybe this is meant to be taken as harmless fun. But it's not harmless because it it ruins the thought that some people on the fence might have. Hey, maybe this is real. Maybe it's not. I'm open-minded. Oh, all this shit is hoaxed. Okay, it's all fake. Everything is fake. And I think, too, that the you know regular person out there kind of thinks that these are the Bigfoot sightings, that this is what people are talking about, that there's not 10,000 sightings, that there's only a a few real encounters and they all turned out to be hoaxes. Let's talk about Gigantopithecus. Bigfoot proponents Grover Krantz and Jeffrey H. Bourne both believe that Bigfoot could be a relict population of the extinct Southeast Asian ape species Gigantopithecus blackie. All right. According to Bourne, G. Blackie, as his rap name must be, uh, may have followed many other species of animals that migrated across the Bering Land Bridge to the Americas. To date, no Gigantopithecus fossils have been found in the Americas. In Asia, the only recovered fossils have been of mandibles and teeth, leaving uncertainty about G. Blackie's locomotion. 
France has argued that G. Blackie could have been bipedal based on his extrapolation from the shape of its mandible. And that's not necessarily something that he had access to, so I'm not sure where that comes from. But it is amazing that you can tell sometimes by, you know, the shape of a bone that something walks upright or on all fours you know like the position of i can't think of the name of the hole that goes into your skull for your uh, your spinal cord to go through but all oh, right but yeah just like the placement of that if it was back on the head you know like on the middle of the back of the head it would more likely be four-legged because that's how it would look forward but if it's on the bottom it would more likely be something that stands upright because that's you know the position of their skull would be in when they're walking. Matt Cartmill criticizes the Gigantopithecus Blackie hypothesis. He says the trouble with this account is that Gigantopithecus was not a hominin and maybe not even a crown group hominoid which I guess that's what we are. I guess a crown group would be upright. I mean makes sense. I have no idea. The physical evidence implies that Bigfoot is an upright biped with buttocks and a long, stout, permanently abducted big toe. So a permanently abducted hallux is a toe like we have as opposed to having basically four hands, which is what you know most of the great apes have. These are hominin autopomorphies, not found in other mammals or other bipeds. It seems unlikely that Gigantopithecus would have evolved these uniquely hominin traits in parallel, and what that means is they would develop alongside us and would develop the same traits as us. Right. Tell us about John Napier again. Primatologist John R. Napier and anthropologist Gordon Strassenberg have suggested a species of Paranthropus as a possible candidate for Bigfoot's identity, such as Paranthropus robustus with its gorilla-like crested skull and bipedal gait, despite the fact that fossils of Paranthropus are only found in Africa. The more I say Paranthropus, the less meaning it has to me. Gigantopithecus Blackie. Bigfoot enthusiasts that think Bigfoot may be the missing link between apes and humans have promoted the idea that Bigfoot is a descendant of Gigantopithecus blackie. But that ape diverged from orangutans about 12 million years ago and is not related to humans. Some suggest Neanderthal, Homo erectus, and Homo Heidelbergensis. I know this one. It's just intimidating to look at. Yeah. (laughs) 
or Homo heidelbergensis to be the creature, but like all other great apes, no remains of any of those species have been found in the Americas. So it's a well-known theory that they bury their dead. So I, like I said, I've heard a thousand accounts, probably 500 of them from avid outdoorsmen. And in all the cases that I've heard, they've never even come across a bear carcass. So we know that there's lots and lots of bears, yet still people don't come across their carcasses. So let me ask you this. So how many people do you think you see on an average day? And you don't need to read this part, just answer. Oh. Thousands? I don't know, 100, 200, depending on the day. I mean, if it's, I mean, if you're just, well, okay, yeah, I guess if I'm yeah, if it's being on the highway. Right, people in their cars, people walking by, people in stores, you're right. Yeah, probably thousands. Okay, so a lot. Outside of a funeral home, how many dead bodies have you seen? Right, yeah, not uh none i'm gonna say i hope unless i've repressed it yeah so i mean absence of evidence isn't evidence of absence and if they bury their dead they bury their dead and you're not gonna find them you know we know that people are real we know there's i mean i think there's like eight billion people in the world yeah so i know that police officers firemen doctors coroners they all see dead people on a regular basis funeral home directors whatever but when you think about it and i'm not saying that no listener out there has ever seen a dead body outside of a funeral home i'm just bringing up the point that you see thousands of people every day and you hardly ever see a dead body anyway that's the point i wanted to make so you want to tell us about the scientific view sure Expert consensus is that allegations of the existence of Bigfoot are not credible science. Belief in the existence of such a large ape-like creature is more often attributed to hoaxes, confusion, or delusion rather than to sightings of a genuine creature. In a 1996 USA Today article, Washington State zoologist John Crane said, There is no such thing as Bigfoot. No data other than material that's clearly been fabricated has ever been presented. As with other similar beings, climate and food supply issues would make such a creature's survival in reported habitats unlikely. Bigfoot is alleged to live in regions unusual for a large non-human primate, i.e. temperate latitudes in the northern hemisphere. All recognized non-human apes are found in the tropics of Africa and Asia. Great apes have not been found in the fossil record in the Americas, and no Bigfoot remains are known to have been found. You know, other than the fake ones we talked about earlier. Right. Although he did claim that he had the real thing. Anyway, Philip Stevens, a cultural anthropologist at the University of Buffalo, summarized the scientific consensus as follows. It defies all logic that there is a population of these things sufficient to keep them going. What it takes to maintain any species, especially a long-lived species, is you've got to have a breeding population. That requires a substantial number spread out over a fairly wide area where they can find sufficient food and shelter to keep hidden from all the investigators. In the 1970s, when Bigfoot experts, it puts that in quotes, were frequently given high-profile media coverage, McLeod writes that the scientific community generally avoided lending credence to such fringe theories by refusing to even debate them. So, is that science? (laughs) We're not even going to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. 
So yeah, that 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 was my point. You know, it's a it's these scientific it, the scientific community is like nope, not even going to talk about it. I'm just going to cover my ears and. I don't know why you got to do it in front of the kid with the iPad. All you got to do is say earmuffs to him. Earmuffs. And you can say, fuck, shit, bitch, whatever you want. Cock, balls. Okay, I'm just proving a point. You don't have to celebrate it, Frank. So we don't have to even address it because it's impossible because a scientist like myself has not discovered a body yet. Well, I mean, it's it's a thing that repeats itself through history, right? Like germs. You know, when it was initially suggested that doctors should wash their hands, a lot of them resisted that hmm. for appearances sake. Yeah. You know, why would why would you ask me, a doctor, to wash my hands? Do you think I'm dirty like you filthy peasants who come in here to be seen? <laughs> Science sometimes, or the people involved have sometimes a, a closed-minded approach to new topics. Mm-hmm. And they worry about appearances, so they don't want to engage in certain things. So, you know, like the resistance to smoking being seen as as harmful as it is yeah resistance to washing your hands well i mean we can go on and on Roundup. Uh, yeah i mean Muskegee I, experiments trust the science I mean, yeah i mean the bigfoot thing is there's good reason to be skeptical I yeah understand. there is because you know you're you're pointing out that you never see a human body you or you know very rarely mm. unless it's on purpose right <laughs> unless you're at a funeral where they're purposely showing you one or you're killing you know, somebody. it's pretty he, yeah i mean hopefully not many of us are doing that right but it you see people you know mm. you don't see bear carcasses but you see bears mm-hmm. it's like you don't usually see sasquatch but you know, there's got to be some explanation for it. It's like the same people who are looking at these clips that are being released by the government where they're showing, like, the Tic Tac or whatever else. Uh-huh. And they're saying, like, well, that's not aliens. It's like, great. Then what is it? Right. What's your theory? Yeah. Like, what is it that's able to move this fast? Is it some kind of glitch in their system? Or right. is it something made by the Russians, the Chinese? Is it... I don't know. Did, did did does Mexico have like a breakaway ultra terrestrial society somewhere, and they're like launching stuff into our airspace? Like, what is it? Well, I, it's probably that the Navy hoaxed it, right? It's got to be. I mean, or their cameras be. didn't work right, or something else, because it cannot be what I do not believe in. I mean, if if I go to wherever when I die, in Allah is up there and he's like I'm Allah what am I going to say you can't be because I don't believe in you well at some point when you're faced with some facts and and I keep going back to the Patterson Gimlet film oh there's no no credible video it's like there's 60 seconds of this that happened in 1967 this is better footage better costume if you will than the uh, guy from the beef jerky commercials so they had a better costume in 1967 than we have now but it's easy to be like man in a suit look away don't talk about it anymore it's not real if you don't talk about it it's not real when the globe was proposed people are like you're out of your fucking mind that is insane the world is round 
no, of course that cannot be real. Now, if you say flat earth, people are like, are you stupid? There's no possible. So it happens consistently. Nothing changes more than science. I mean, when I was a kid, if, if I was to say, well, I don't know, these, these raptors, they, they almost walk like chickens. Like, it, it's really mm. similar. I mean, wh- what if they had feathers or something? No. They were all lizards with scaly skin. That's it. That's what science says. Any thoughts to the contrary will be shot down and you will be ostracized and you will not get any grants to study anything. It's bad science. I want to play a clip here real quick. We all know who Jane Goodall is, right? Um, She was the lady who went and lived amongst chimps and somehow wasn't murdered. But she lived amongst chimps and she was asked of her opinion about Bigfoot in a 2002 interview on National Public Radio's Science Friday. I, I would, I'm romantic. I would like Bigfoot to exist. I've met people who swear they've seen Bigfoot. And I think the interesting thing is every single continent, there is an equivalent of Bigfoot or Sasquatch. There's the Yeti, there's the Yari in Australia, there's the Chinese wild man, and, and on and on and on. And, you know, I've had stories from people who, you have to believe them. So there's something, I don't know what it is. I'm always open-minded. So we listened to the clip and she basically says that it could be it could be i'm not going to say that it's not i hope it's real and that's science i've never seen it i don't know anything about it so it could be that's not a derogatory statement about people who believe in it you know she's basically saying "Mm, i'm skeptical but it could be you never know so that's a, a good scientific approach to it I think and, and people are just so you know they're sitting in their offices with wood grain walls and awards for stupid shit that nobody cares about and they are the ones saying nope not even going to talk about it not going to discuss it totally impossible well guess what there's fucking jellyfish in Lake of the Ozarks couldn't happen impossible never never in a million years could it oh oh there's videos of oh okay well we'll believe these videos but we'll pick and choose the videos we want to believe but anyway i think it's your turn now paleontologist and author darren Nish stated in the scientific american that if bigfoot existed an abundance of evidence would also exist that cannot be found anywhere today making the existence of such a creature exceedingly unlikely Nice summarizes the evidence for Bigfoot that would exist if the creature itself existed. If Bigfoot existed, so would consistent reports of uniform vocalizations throughout North America as can be identified for any existing large animal in the region, rather than the scattered and widely varied Bigfoot sounds haphazardly reported. Now, real quick, so the way he states this, haphazardly reported, that Mm -hmm. is a thought-canceling word too haphazardly it it makes it sound like 
it's just a bunch of dumbasses that recorded foxes and <laughs> said, oh, it's a Bigfoot. There's a lot of different... They're saying that there's no way that this could be something else making the sound. However, we can't tell you what's making that sound because we've never heard it before. It is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's an odd way to characterize the reports. Well, it's it, it's written with language that is completely dismissive that makes the reader feel like they're an idiot if they don't believe what this person is saying. And that's right. bullshit. Right. If Bigfoot existed, so would many tracks that would be easy for experts to find, just as they easily find tracks for other rare megafauna in North America. Rather than a complete lack of such tracks alongside tracks, in quotes, that experts agree are fraudulent. And I would say here, and I'm, I know you're going to say the same thing, lots of people take big footprints. Lots of people make plaster molds of those prints. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it, so if you didn't know anything about it, hey, read this article. In North, rather than a complete lack of such tracks... And I don't know what he means by alongside tracks. I, I, I don't know if he's meaning like a family group moving together, but they've been found mm. all over. And if you don't believe that they're real, that's fine. But don't act like it's never like, I mean, if you if you've never heard of Bigfoot and you read this, you're going to think that the only tracks that have ever been made have all been proven fakes. And it's not true. Mm hmm. Yeah. Finally, if Bigfoot existed, an abundance of Bigfoot DNA would already have been found. Again, as it has been found for similar animals, instead of the current state of affairs where there is no confirmed DNA for such a creature whatsoever. They say confirmed because they have to be the ones that confirm it. Now, we'll talk about Melba Ketchum in a little bit, but she has found DNA links that I believe it's an unknown primate origin so it doesn't match gorillas orangutans chimpanzees bonobos or whatever i can't remember what those giant chimpanzees are called that are just absolutely horrifying but but they don't they won't even review it from the de novo journal of science a request to register the species name Homo sapiens cognatus was made by veterinarian Melba S. Ketchum, lead of the Sasquatch Genome Project, following the publication of Novel North American Hominins, Next Generation Sequencing of Three Whole Genomes and Associated Studies. Because that's the kind of catchy, you know, roll-off-the-tongue kind of title that you get from actual scientific papers. Right. Uh, this was, you know, again, published in... Uh, De Novo's Journal of Science on the 13th of February in 2013. The article examined 111 samples of blood, tissue, hair, and other specimens characterized and hypothesized to have been obtained from elusive hominins in North America, commonly referred to as Sasquatch. Which, I like the phrasing of that. Because that leaves it open to there being multiple species or, you know, sort of variations of a creature that were kind of lumping together as one thing. Yeah, and I think it's pretty hard to fake DNA, right? But I've never heard of sequencing an unknown or new DNA 
that they like create, if that makes sense. Like the CRISPR stuff. Right, right. Like, yeah, I understand where where you're going. Melba Ketchum issued a press release on November 14th of 2012 claiming that they had found proof that the Sasquatch is a human relative that arose approximately 15,000 years ago as a hybrid cross of modern Homo sapiens with an unknown primate species. So, right now all I can think of is a Cards Against Humanity card. (laughs) One of the subject ones. Mm -hmm. So if I had this, it'd be, you know, some version of modern Homo sapien was tempted by, and then the the card is the sweet forbidden meat of the monkey. Oh, gross. <laughs> well, we have to understand, too, that I, I think people think that, okay, say you take a human mom and her child is the Sasquatch and the child, the child, the Sasquatch is eight feet tall. Well, that means that the father has to be 20 feet tall for them to develop this way develop this size but we see in lions and tigers i I believe it's the liger is just absolutely enormous like the biggest cat out there even though it's not natural if that makes sense but then if it's if you switch the parents it's a different story they're not as big and i'm just kind of trying to illustrate that it doesn't mean that it was a human woman and a 20 foot tall giant that got together and made this, you know, Sasquatch baby. <laughs> right. Right. Over. Yeah. Yeah. Ketchum called for this to be recognized officially saying that government at all levels must recognize them as an indigenous people and immediately protect their human and constitutional rights against those who would see in their physical and cultural differences, a license to hunt, trap or kill them totally with her on that yeah that's some pretty forward thinking Mm -hmm. yeah in 2013 zoo bank the non-governmental organization that is generally accepted by zoologists to assign species names approved the registration request for the subspecies name homo sapiens cognatus to be used for the reputed hominid more familiarly known as bigfoot or sasquatch cognatus is a latin term meaning related by blood According to a statement by an ICZN associate scientist, Zubank and the ICZN do not review evidence for the legitimacy of organisms to which names are applied. That is outside our mandate and is really the job of the relevant taxonomic or biological community. In this case, primatologists to do that. When H.S. Cognatus was first registered, needless to say, we received a lot of inquiry about it. We scrutinized the original description and registration of this name as best we could, And as far as we can determine, all the requirements were fulfilled for establishing the new name. Thus, at the moment, we have no grounds to reject the scientific name. This says nothing about the legitimacy of the taxon concept. It's just about whether the name was established according to the rules. Which is pretty funny. Like, I totally want to call them and be like, hey, uh, I found this lizard monkey and I want to call it Homo crypticus (laughs) or something stupid. Yeah. And just see if they'll do it. They're like, eh, it's not our job to see if it's real or not. Sure. What do you want to call it? Done. All right. Let's talk about some researchers. Ivan T. Sanderson and Bernard Huevelmans, founder of the subculture of cryptozoology, have spent parts of their career searching for Bigfoot. 
John Napier asserts that the scientific community's attitude towards Bigfoot stems primarily from insufficient evidence. Other scientists who have shown varying degrees of interest in the creature are Grover Krantz, Jeffrey Meldrum, John Bindernagel, David J. Degling, George Schaller, Russ Mittermeier, Esteban Sarmiento, and Maria Mayor. Maria Mayor is a well-known and you know, highly spoke of primatologist, and she spends her summers in the woods in Washington looking for Sasquatch. Jeffrey Meldrum, I have a book by him, and it's I think it's called like The Science of Sasquatch, and it's like 400 pages of why this is a possibility. Uh, Grover Krantz, John Bindernagel, they're all, you know, well-regarded as long as they don't talk about Bigfoot. And then, of course, you know, we have your favorite show, Mountain Monsters. That that show has done more to decrease belief in Sasquatch than about anything except for Rick Dyer. You know, like, mm. hey, we're going to yeah. use telephone poles to build this giant cage and we're going to put a deer in there and catch one. Right. Like, they're not going to realize. Like, they see trail cams up, you know, 15 foot up in a tree in the dark, but they can't figure out that that's a trap. I know it's stupid. I just yeah. wanted to bring mountain monsters in there because they're all ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, they make Zach Bagans look like Stephen Hawking. <laughs> that is rough, but not totally inaccurate. You don't even have to believe in Bigfoot. Like it's clear that you are more sold on it than I am. Sure. Which seems to be the case with a lot of what we're doing. I think that's just the roles we've fallen into, mm-hmm. but it's like, even if you don't believe in it, like, what is it? Yeah. The Patterson, you know, film Patty, that's not, I don't know. I mean, that would be so hard to fake. Mm-hmm. And the costume is so much better looking than ones that we see nowadays. Mm-hmm. It's just like, what was it? You know, is nobody curious? Like the Tic Tac thing. It's like, well, what is it? I don't care if you don't think it's aliens. What is it? Well, let's go back to the Agoris. Right? They said once you make a decision, you cut your world in half. And mm-hmm. it's amazing to me to see people come around later in life. Oh, oh, there's no such thing as aliens. That's impossible. And then here we are 20 years later, and they're like, yeah, it's probably true. Yep, they got that uh, tic tac UFO. There's been a lot of sightings. The government's starting to kind of come out and say, we don't understand all this. And I say, yeah, well, so what do you think about uh, ghosts? Not possible. Impossible. There's no way that could ever happen. Well, yeah, but you, you just said that about UFOs. Yes, about no. UFOs. But there is no such thing as ghosts. There is no such. And it's like they don't recognize that they're falling into the same pitfalls that they had about something else. They don't learn from one thing being proven or essentially proven uh, with UFOs. We don't know for a fact that there's aliens out there, but now math and science says there has to be. So then those people come around and say, oh, I was wrong before, but I can't be wrong about something else. Let's talk about formal studies. One study was conducted by John Napier and published in his book, Bigfoot, 
Spaghetti and Sasquatch and Myth and Reality in 1973. Napier wrote that if a conclusion is to be reached based on scant, extant, hard evidence, science must declare Bigfoot does not exist. It's hard to prove a negative. However, he found it difficult to entirely reject thousands of alleged tracks scattered over 125,000 square miles, or to dismiss all of the many hundreds, as he puts it, which there wasn't a Bigfoot research organization in 1973, so at the time, I guess I can let that go. But he concluded, I am convinced that Sasquatch exists. But whether it is all it's cracked up to be is another matter altogether. There must be something in Northwest America that needs explaining, and that something leaves man-like footprints. So I feel like he's kind of going back and forth on things. But anyway, beginning in the late 1970s, physical anthropologist Grover Krantz published several articles and four book-length treatments on Sasquatch. A study published in the Journal of Biogeography in 2009 by J.D. Lozier and others used ecological niche modeling on reported sightings of Bigfoot using their locations to infer preferred ecological parameters. So basically, they're using forensic geography, right? Okay, well, it's happened here, it's happened here, they like this environment, they like this environment, it's more likely that they're in the mountains, in the woods, than in the desert, so on and so on. Right. Right, yeah. All right. They found a very close match with the ecological parameters of the American black bear, Ursus americanus. They also note that an upright bear looks much like a Bigfoot's purported appearance and consider it highly improbable that two species should have very similar ecological preferences, concluding that Bigfoot sightings are likely misidentified sightings of black bears. Okay, so just real quick, it makes more sense to me that two things, two creatures that live on presumably the same diet would be in the same area. It makes sense to me that if an area can support grizzly bears, 1,200 pounds, then in theory, it would be able to support a Sasquatch too. All right, guys. So we've got to cut this one short right now because we are running out of space here on Podbean. That's how we roll. I don't know. Do you have any final thoughts on what we've talked about so far? Or do we want to save them for the very end? I guess we could save them for the end. Yeah, that's probably the better way. Keep everybody in suspense. That's right. You guys are going to have to keep listening. But in any case, just real quick, uh, share, share, share on social media, all the social media, please, everything. Uh, You can check out our TikToks if you want. They haven't gotten very popular, but they're not very TikTok-y. They're more documentary style than they are, you know, kids flipping hamburgers and dancing with a bunch of weird emojis everywhere. So uh, that's up to you. But check the Parabox link in the show notes and check back in next week for part two. Good evening, Crypt Keepers. 